I believe that God has given us a message this morning that we need, that I believe is appropriate. I believe it's a message that because we are living in a world that is convoluted and chaotic, we're finding it very difficult to learn how to be content. I'm the last series on the preset series, and mine is Reset the Preset of Enough. So when I thought about that, here's what came to my mind, and it, I, it didn't take me long, it was a God thing, but I had to develop it. And here's what I came to my mind. We have to know when enough is enough. We have to know the difference between enough and stuff. And then we have to share our stuff with those who don't have enough. Now that's a real easy, kind of a kind of easy thing to talk about. But I want you to get into the Word with me today so that the Word can get into us. How many realize that unless we get into the Word, the Word's never going to get into us? So I want you to look in Philippians chapter 4, and it should be up on the screen this morning. I believe it's going to be there. If you have your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13 or on your iPhones or whatever electronic device that you may have, or you can follow with me on the screen. This is a time when the Apostle Paul, writing from prison, was saying to the church in Philippi, you know, I've had my needs and, and, and I've had times where I just didn't have enough, but thank you, church in Philippi, thank you for helping me out. Thank you for sending support to me during my ministry, and, and he's, he's going into this whole concept of being thankful for a body of believers that has provided and helped support him in what God had called him to do. So we pick it up in verse 10, and he says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content. For I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. When we reset the preset of enough, we understand that there are things that come into our life. Now, before I begin, let me give you a definition here because I think there's going to be some mixed uh, misunderstanding going on. I could ask you this morning if you're content and you would go, you bet, yeah, I'm content. But I have to make you aware that there is a difference between content and complacent. Content is when you are satisfied and you are pleased. Not in your environment or your circumstances, but you're satisfied and you're pleased. Complacent is self-satisfaction. 
And even though you are aware of what's going on around you and you recognize a need to change, you're unconcerned. I know that there's hungry people around me, and I know that I need to do this, and I need to change that, but I'm just, I'm just unconcerned. So for those of you, if you're in that situation, you may misunderstand me this morning and say, Pastor Don, I'm content. No, you're complacent. And there's a difference. There's even a third category, and we won't go into that. It's called comatose. I mean, it's just, you're here, and you walk out, and you go home, and you're here, and it's just, it's comatose. It's like there's no activity. You have to get the mirror out to make sure there's still life going on. I'm talking about how do we learn to be content with what we have? And in order to learn that, and by the way, contentment is a learned behavior, but in order to learn that, we have to understand that we've got to reset our preset of enough. Now, for those all of you in here, families that have had children, you know that there is a preset for pregnancy. You understand that when the doctor says that you are pregnant and you go through all of the list and all of the things that come with it and you get the baby's room ready and you get the shower gifts and you get the crib put together and you get all the bottles and you get the diapers and there's a preset to pregnancy. And you think you have everything in order and because in, in a little while the wife is going to experience uh, intensive labor pains and there's going to be a breaking of water and there's going to be a rush to the hospital and she's going to go in and deliver a baby and going to hold the baby on her chest and going to take the baby home and life just lives happily ever after. Can I tell you, when Barb and I put together the preset for pregnancy, it went south in a hurry. First of all, she was out on February the 14th out getting candy for my secretaries as I was in nursing home business. Slipped on the ice and fell on her tailbone, putting the body in shock. So the due date kept getting pushed back a week, two weeks, and what was due at the end of February didn't come due until March the 26th. She was incapacitated, could not walk. In fact, that was before cell phones. And so when the phone would ring, she would get off of the Davenport crawl, hands and knees to the phone to answer the phone. Only by the time she got there, the person got tired of waiting and would hang up. And she had crawled back to the Davenport. And they said, oh, I think I'll try again. Ding, 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 ding. Crawl, hang up. That was just the beginning of it. So we get to the hospital, and in the process of the delivery, uh, we have this preset. You're going to go in, you're going to have a baby. That's going to be the end of it. Little did we know that that baby was going to be 11 pounds, 7 ounces. And girls, back then, we really didn't believe in C-sections. 
Doctors were not doing C-sections. So because of the size, they had to break his collarbone to deliver him. So that all takes place, and we didn't have a clue what to name him. The doctor puts him on Barbara's tummy, and she looks at me. I'm at the foot of the delivery table. She says, what are we going to call him? I said, let's call him Kirby. First time ever that name had ever came into my mind or my wife's. We get home. Got to fast forward this. We get home, got his bottles ready, got his bed ready, the whole thing. The only problem was he really couldn't get into his going home outfit. See, that's one of our presets. And all these cute little, little, little bunny things and all this little stuff going home, kind of cute, it looked like he had his spray painted on him. There wasn't a wrinkle. There was nothing. <coughs> so we get home, and we're thinking, okay, feeding time, bottles. You know, we got, we got a preset, bottles. When we got home, he wasn't happy with the bottle. He wanted cereal. And as soon as he got home, we have pictures of Kirby on Barbara's lap, the head down by the knees, and as fast as she can shovel it in, he is eating cereal. And he went off the bottle at three months. Now, he's a 6'5", strapping young man, well, 41, but big guy today. I said all, that, all of that to say this. Sometimes we set our presets, and we expect life to measure up to that. This is what my marriage is going to look like. This is what family's going to look like. This is what my finances are going to look like. This is what my financial portfolio is going to look like. And we set the preset, and then we find that we may have to reset it because we just don't have enough. You see, when children come into this world, their need for enough is very minimal. Dry diaper, food, and place to sleep. But as your child grew up, his need for enough begin to increase. And I don't have it all in sequence, but you can get the picture. Now you needed the high chair, and you needed the, uh, the, the toddler, the, the, the place swing set, and you needed uh, all of these things that he's using, and then you needed to get the stroller, and this was before car seats, but now you got to get the car seat, and you got to get, and, and all of a sudden, these needs begin to increase, and it goes then to the tricycle and the bicycle, and it goes to the type of clothing, and then they get in school, and the need for enough begins to get even bigger, and then they get to college, and the need for enough gets to get bigger, begins to get bigger, and then we get married, and all of a sudden, what we thought was enough just is not doing it. We're just not getting it done, and we get frustrated. And we get, we, we get disappointed and we get discouraged because here's what is happening. We are inundated and we are conformed by the culture and the media and society that we live in. And we listen to people around us telling us what's enough. And I want us this morning to take a deep breath and step back and just evaluate, really, 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 what's enough? What? How many pairs of shoes can you wear at one time? 
How many jackets? How many shirts? How many? You get the picture. What is really enough? You say, but, but pastor, you don't understand. I'm financially able to have whatever I want in this world. But I have to come back and ask you, are you contented? Do you have contentment? Because the Apostle Paul said, I've learned to be contented when I've had much, and I've learned to be contented when I've had little. So here's the first one of those, knowing when enough is enough. Have you ever experienced that? Have you eaten till you've had enough? <laughs> Have you had enough money till you've had enough? Uh, have you had as many vacations as you want to? You, where in Scripture does it tell us there's actually a time that enough is enough? Well, I'm glad you asked that. Because we're going to go to Exodus chapter 36. And it's, it's a story that, um, let, me set, let me set it for you. God had given Moses the Ten Commandments. <clears throat> and then he gives them instructions to build the tabernacle. Now, I want you to catch this because there's a parallel between the tabernacle and even the church of today. Take a look here. And Moses called Bezalel and Holiab, and every wise-hearted man in whose heart the Lord had put wisdom, even everyone whose heart stirred him up to come unto the work to do it. And they received of Moses all the offering which the children of Israel had brought for the work of the service of the sanctuary to make it withal. And they brought yet unto him free offerings every morning. We struggle with once a week. And they're bringing them every morning. And all the wise men that wrought all the work of the sanctuary came every man from his work which they made and they spake unto Moses, saying, The people bring much more than enough for the service of the work which the Lord commanded to make. And so Moses gave a commandment, and they caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp, saying, Let neither man nor woman make any more work for the offering of the sanctuary. So the people were restrained. I know this is foreign. The people were restrained from bringing, for the stuff they had was sufficient for all the work to make it, and even too much. So what that story is telling us is there was a time when God had a plan, and God called a people, and God had a provision, and there actually was a time when they had enough stuff to the point that they had more than enough. And I'm not unpacking that this morning. So don't, so just relax. Don't, don't be over-concerned. We're not taking special offerings, faith promises. I'm pointing out to you, and if you have, as we ask for God to give us wisdom, if you have in your mind the capacity to draw parallels, you can see that God's work done God's way will never lack God's supply. And so here is an example of what God had called the people to do, and they came to the place. Now, I think not only they brought their, their offering every morning of, of finances, but I believe they brought their offering of praise. I believe that they brought an offering of worship. I believe they brought an offering of prayer. 
But the key thing, my friends, is this. Here was a group of people who had a willingness to follow what God's plan was, and when that plan was followed and they participated willingly, believe it or not, there was more than enough. And the integrity of Moses, now see, Moses could have said, well, we got enough, but, but keep bringing it in, because my pockets aren't full yet. And he starts, he starts hoarding up, and, and he said, no, 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 stop. Now, wouldn't that be hilarious? If when Pastor John got up to take the offering, we had to post people at the end of the pews, put your checkbook back. Stick that money back in your pocket. We don't need it. We don't need it. I understand we've never been there. But I hope that the Holy Spirit will take that concept and put it into our minds. Because, my friends, the only thing I'm going to say is this. God's plan done God's way will have God's provision. And I believe that God has a plan for us. I believe he has a people. And I believe that he has a provision. So definition enough is the quantity to meet the demands and needs and expectations. And uh, you, you understand this. You've used this word quite often. It goes something like this. I've had about enough out of you. Ever said that to your kids or your husband? See, we husbands know better than say that to our wives. Because we know our wives are going, you think you had enough. Honey, let me tell you, I'm just getting started. But that phrase, you've heard that phrase before, I've had about enough out of you. Or when, you, when the kids are just about causing you to come unglued and you say, stop it, that's enough. Or maybe when you find that you've got some people coming over for a meal and you say, you know, we don't really have enough for everybody. So we're interestingly known for using the word enough, but we don't use it when it comes to the concept of being contented. I have to say this morning on a personal note, and I didn't, I didn't do that. It wasn't one of these last minute, dear God, save me, cleanse me, make me righteous on Saturday because I'm preaching Sunday. But I really believe that before God and before you, I can say that I am content. I can say that, that, that Barbara and I in our ministry, we have learned to be content. Now, unfortunately, we've learned more to be content without, then we've had to be content with much. But we've learned contentment. And I'm at the place in my life, and it isn't because I'm just getting older, but my wife will tell you every morning we, we, I start out our prayer with Heavenly Father, we thank you for the rest that you've given to us, and we thank you for another day. That's all I need to be content another day. I've been afforded the opportunity and the privilege of doing something that I love and something that is a passion of mine, which is ministry, altogether for over 30-some years. I've been blessed. We've never went without, but I understand what it was like growing up 
Now, we always had choices. The choice was, is do you want your bologna plain or fried? The choice was, do you want your potatoes baked, fried, boiled, or mashed? See, we had many choices growing up. Do you want cheese with that slice of tomato on your sandwich, or do you just want tomato? And in the growing up years, I have learned that it's really not about the circumstances around me. I really believe that God has helped us to learn how to be content. Not complacent, but content. So now, when we understand that that enough can be enough, here's my question for us today. If we are not thankful and good stewards with what we already have, why would God give us more? And before I got up here today, in fact, in my office, I said, God, I pray that the people receive these words in love and not that I'm trying to put guilt or conviction on them, but I'm asking you a very personal question that only you can answer. If you and I are not good stewards of what God has given to us, why should we ask him for more? Because here's what happens. Wealth will often exaggerate your situation but it will seldom do anything to enhance your well-being. And I understand that throughout this, this church sanctuary today, there are probably some of you who are totally convinced that if you won the lottery, that you would be a better steward. Can I tell you this? That's probably not true. All you have to do is Google. 70% of lottery winners end up bankrupt in five years. The suicide, the, the divorce rate, the family's disintegrating, and we're not talking about 50, 100. We're talking about 25, 50 million, 51 million, 200 million, 300 million. And I know we sit here and say, but God, I, I just need a little bit more, a little bit more. And, and if, if God, if I, just, if I just had the lottery. But I think if we have to be honest with ourselves, God comes back and says, if you're not responsible for what I've given you, why should I give you more? In fact, I, I'm going to throw this in because I think you'll, you'll appreciate it. Because when I was reading the lottery statistics, this couple, the wife bought a lottery ticket but didn't tell her husband. She won $14 million. The husband thought that marriage was pretty good and everything was okay, but the following week, he got served with divorce papers. Couldn't understand it. Well, lo and behold, he's got a sharp lawyer. They get into the divorce proceedings, and what the wife doesn't know is there's a law of disclosure that she has to show how much money she has. She showed that she had nothing and she was divorcing him and trying to get him to pay support. In the law of disclosure, it came out that she had, 14, had won $14 million in the lottery. The judge was so impressed that he awarded the whole $14 million to the ex-husband. 
So, man or wife, if you're trying to be sneaky, be sure your sin will find you out. But friends, here we are. Now we have to know the difference between enough and stuff. What's the difference between enough and stuff? The definition, stuff is a group or pile of things not specifically identified or currently used. Stuff is something that you find under your bed, in your basement, up in your attic, out in your garage. It's just stuff. Now you're you're feeling that conviction, aren't you? It's been there since you bought the house. And you don't know what you will ever do with it. But you just can't get rid of it. It's it's identified, but you don't know what you're going to do with it. It's stuff. And we've come to this place in our life that we collect and accumulate things that we will never use, but it's become our identity and we refuse to get rid of them, and it's just stuff. I would dare say that most of us today could go home and look through our house, although you wouldn't get a lot out of my house, because Barbara and I were of the nature that we, we use what we have. So everything in our house or in my garage is something that gets put to use, even if it's nothing but a seasonal decoration or whatever. I really can't think of anything in our home that would be classified as stuff. Now, she may toss me on the pile when, you know, you want some stuff? Here's some stuff. But what about this? What if you shared your stuff so that others may have enough? See, I, I, I don't know who I'm speaking to here, but, but we come time in our, in our church, we come to times of where we ask uh, for you to give to the little White House or to give to the water wells or to give to here, give to there. And, 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 and I don't know, God hasn't prophetically showed me names and faces, but I can tell you this, there are people in this congregation that you have things that you could sell that will make a tremendous difference in somebody's life, but you won't turn loose of it because it's become your identity. And what God is saying to us today is we need to have an identity in Jesus Christ, that we are a child of God, we are redeemed, we are heir of the Father, joint heir of the Son, and it doesn't matter what I'm hanging on to, that's not my identity, because one of these days when God brings, gives Jesus that green light to come back, that stuff isn't going with us anyway. But we say, well, I don't have any money, live on a shoestring. Well, what about your stuff? Just saying. So how do we be content? Now, here's what I want to do. I read to you Philippians chapter 4, but I want to go back and I want to read it in a different context. So if the guys would put it up on the screen for me, please. Let's read this in a different context. It's, it's out of the message. If we don't have it, that's okay. But I, uh, if, it's, if you have it up there, put it up. There you go. Okay, I, I heard the alarm clock go off, so they must have woke up. Um, <laughs> Philippians four eleven through thirteen. Actually, I don't have a sense of needing anything personally. 
I've learned by now to be quite content whatever my circumstances. I'm just as happy with little as with much, with much as with little. I found the recipe for being happy, whether full or hungry, hands full or hands empty, whatever I have, wherever I am, I can make it through anything in the one who makes me who I am. Ernest, would you come back up with me this morning, please? I want you to share something with us today. I asked Ernest yesterday, I said, so when you're ministering to these kids at the little White House, how do you know when enough is enough? I mean, is it enough when they have a shiny bike? Is it enough when they have a whole wardrobe of clothes? It's, how, what constitutes enough? And then share with us about Isaiah. And that, that, really, uh, that really touched me yesterday. Thank you. And I want to let everyone know I've been a mentor at the Southeast White House for six years. And my mentee is Isaiah. He's 18. He actually couldn't be here this weekend because he has a job. We will help him get a job. And when I first became his mentor when he was 12, when Pastor Jack had asked me that question, I thought, I said, well, when I first became his mentor, I had just got married. I only had a year of marriage under my belt. It wasn't like I had a ton of money or a, a ton of relational capital where I could say, hey, I'm going to take you up to Capitol Hill and get your internship because I have all these friends all over the place in Washington, D.C. But what I did have was love. And I couldn't give them anything else, but I could love them. And I have been able to see over these six years how the love of just being there for someone, answering the phone for someone, being there when they kind of rebel against you, and it's like, well, hey, I want these new Jordans. And it's like, well, I don't have no money for new Jordans. You see me wearing Jordans? I don't wear Jordans, so I can't help you. You know, I, I cannot help you, literally. And have him get mad and not want to talk to me. Oh, I'm not going to talk to you for a week. And he'll call me back two days later. What are we going to do today? And it's like, all right, yeah, man, we're going to go out. But what was that all about? And just, just being there and helping him process that you don't need stuff. It's just about love. And that's what I was able to see in our relationship. As I said, God, Scripture is true. Love you with all my heart, soul, and mind, and love my neighbor. And from that, I've been able to see life transformation in his life. And I know that the youth that we have with us today, that's what we can give them at the Southeast White House. At the Southeast White House, we have that opportunity just to love them, to meet them where they are, and to say, hey, we love you. We're here for you. We're not going to throw it in your face that you made mistakes. We're not going to throw it in your face that you might not have the same things I had when I came up. But I can tell you this, I love you nonetheless. And that's what makes the difference is just being there and loving on people. And that's exactly what Jesus did and does and uses us to do it here today. So I just wanted to encourage you with, with that. It's just love. So. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Share your stuff so that others may have enough. I'm coming to a conclusion today, but I want to just mention to you that commitment is an inside job. So, Pastor Don, why, why would you have this message today? How do you, how do you even know it's appropriate? Because I, I know the world that we live in. And I sense all you have to do is look around you and, and see the chaos and the confusion in the convoluted world that we're living in. And then you go on your job and dealing with your family and your relationships and your finances. 
and you put your head on the pillow at night thinking, dear God, how, how can I rest? How can I be at peace? How can I be content? And I think it comes back to us, I'm content because I know that God loves me. God loves me. And I understand that contentment is an inside job. You see, contentment has nothing to do with what's going on around us. It has everything to do with what's happening inside of us. It's a God thing. And as we look at this, I I just give you a question here. Do we learn contentment when we're hungry or full? Or do we learn contentment when we have plenty or in need? Yes. Both. Both. Contentment has to be learned. And learning to be content will require a changed mind. I opened up the paper this morning and I saw a section, large headlines, whatever it takes. And I thought, man. I opened it up and the picture of LeBron James. And I understand that. But I got to thinking, God, if people in the sport world has sold out and committed themselves so much to say, whatever it takes, I will commit to make this happen. Why ought not you and I, as the family of God, the brothers and sisters in Christ, the body of Christ, why is it that we ought not be able to say the same thing? Whatever it takes, we're going to get those Roe family kids mentored. Whatever it takes, we're going to plug in with Serve Erie and influence our community. Whatever it takes, the offerings that you gave today, whatever it takes, we're going to make sure that those kids at Little White House has the things in the building and the things that they need to function on a daily basis. Whatever it takes, the missionaries that we support, whatever it takes, whatever it, ta- whatever it takes to make sure that this building doesn't fall in around us, that's what we're going to do because we've committed and we've learned how to be content. And I've always adhered, or not adhered, but I've always stated I'm pretty simplistic. It doesn't take much to make me happy. After a a full day at work and I can go home and I know I have a lovely wife waiting on me and we have supper together and I've got a very nice recliner that I get my, kick my shoes off and get back in and get all, I'm happy, I'm content. You know, I don't have to have the latest technical gadget or whatever's going on. Just get me in my recliner and I'm content. Do I want to do, yes, I want to go vacate. Yes, I want to buy, yes, yes, yes. That's human. But my question, friends, is this, but are we content? Are we content? Because here's the thing. Will you stand with me this morning? I want you to stand on this last note. Stand with me this morning. If If you haven't remembered anything that I've told you, remember this. When all that you have left is God, God will be enough. When all that you have left is God, God 
will be enough. Father, we love you this morning. We thank you for this day. We thank you for another opportunity to worship you, to give unto you, to greet one another, to minister to the kids, to hold the babies in the nursery. Father, we thank you for the opportunity of sharing your word and, 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 and what is happening in our life today. We give you thanks for that. And Father, we pray that you will help us in our days and months and years ahead. Help us to know when enough is enough. Help us to know the difference between enough and stuff. And then, God, we pray that there's a willingness to share our stuff with those who do not have enough. And God, we pray that as we leave this building today, we ask that you remind us each and every moment of, of this week that when all we have left is God, then God will be enough. Father, take this message, I pray. Seal it by your Holy Spirit and give us a great day in you. In your name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day. Have a great day.